Open up your Bible. Our passage today is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I want to apologize about the parking lot. That was the guy who preached in the first service. That was all his fault. Thankfully, a different person is here now. Same name, looks the same. But I have repented of that. And I'm going to reward you by preaching even longer. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll see what I can cut. It's one of those I'm sorry but not sorry kind of things. So, uh, no, but seriously, thank you for the patience. Second Timothy chapter 4. We only have a few messages left from Second Timothy. If you're a guest with us this morning, we've been making our way through this little book. And the Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's writing from a prison cell. He talks about his chains, and you can imagine him writing this letter with the chains around his arms, around his legs. And he's writing to Timothy because he has a lot to say. Paul's reaching the end of his life, and, and so he has a lot of advice. And he's not sure what state of mind Timothy is in when it comes to, to Paul. Because other people have been in Timothy's ear. Maybe you can't trust Paul. Is God really blessing him? If God was really blessing him, why would he end up in prison? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And Paul knows all of this is going on. And so he's writing what will be his last words, or at least the last words that we have in written record to Timothy. My dad is a pretty casual, laid-back guy. And, and so when I think of fatherly advice that he's given me, or fatherly directives, there's the list is not long of of things where I could say he, he set me down or he spoke to me clearly and this is exactly what he wanted me to do. But the one at the top of the list, I was 16 years old. I was on a mission trip actually with the youth group at my church. And so it was about 12 hours away from our hometown. And, and we had a little bit of downtime. And this was the early 90s. And in the early 90s, I really wanted an earring in my left ear. Uh, it was kind of all the rage at the time. I grew up in a pretty conservative house, but I was watching these people on TV and I just needed one, you know. I mean, it wasn't a want. I mean, it was a legitimate need. But my parents didn't recognize that. And so there was a clear no earrings for you in our, in our house. But, you know, I was 12 hours away from home. And, and uh, you know, it's a great time to get your ear pierced and disobey your parents when you're on a mission trip. <laughs> and so I thought I'm going to do it, you know, because maybe if I do it here, when I get home, they won't notice. And, uh, or when they get home, they'll be like, Oh my gosh, you do look as cool as you've been telling us. <laughs> Go for it. I don't know what I thought would happen, but uh, at the church that we were staying at, there was a, they had a bookstore inside the church, and thank God they you know, sold earrings because my youth pastor wasn't going to swing by the mall and let me run into Claire's you know, and get my ear pierced. And so I thought, well, i got to take matters into my own hand. So I bought an earring at the earring set, you know, because they come into, uh, at the Christian bookstore. Thankfully, it was the cross because that was, you know, just like... Jesus was in the midst of this. Literally, his cross was in the midst of this. And so, uh, you know, they didn't have a gun to pierce my ear, obviously, at this store. So I went and bought a, a drink from the little cafe that was in the store. Went up to the bathroom, took some of the ice out of the drink, numbed it up for about 30 seconds. So you can imagine it wasn't very numb at all. And then jammed it through my ear. Here's a little trivia for all of you scientists out there. The, inside your ear, there are multiple layers in there. And, uh, and you can feel them break through. But after it was over, I was right. I looked amazing. <laughs> 
fact, in fact, so amazing that another guy on our youth group mission team was like, I need the same thing. But he was irresponsible and called his parents back at home. Said, can I get my ear pierced? They said, no, you cannot get your ear pierced when you're 12 hours away from us. And he said, well, Curtis did it. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how fast the information traveled from his home to 3934 West Young Street, Springfield, Missouri, 65803, but it was pretty quickly because my dad called me. And remember, this is pre-cell phone days. He, he had to track down the number of the church that we were staying at and then ask for some random person that the church didn't know about because I was just a visiting kid on this mission team. And, and just so you know, my Dad rarely calls me now. My mom is the hub of communication, so I know what's going on with my dad because my mom and my mom, my dad knows about what's happening to me because of my mom, and you know, so she's always been the buffer. But he's now being proactive, and he he calls me, tracks me down, and he says, uh, "What are you doing?" And I thought he meant like, "What are you doing?" You know, just on your trip, and no, he's like, "What are you doing?" We heard that. You pierced your ear. And then he blamed it on my mom. He said, your mom is so hurt. Not not even mad, but hurt that you would do that. And he said, I would suggest that you take that out before you get home. And, And we weren't not a yes, sir, no, sir kind of family. But in that moment, yes, sir. Now, I wore it the rest of the week because, again, I looked awesome. But before we got on the van, I took it home. When I think about serious, I, I want you to do this father-son conversations. That's the one at the top of my mind. Um, Paul has been giving Timothy advice all throughout this letter. I mean, the whole letter is Paul telling Timothy what he should be doing. But we get to chapter 4. And just like my father turned up the volume on that telephone call, Paul's going to turn up the volume here for Timothy. I really want you to listen to me, Timothy. Look how he starts in verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul starts chapter 4 by saying, I solemnly charge you. Again, Timothy, take... What I'm getting ready to say so seriously, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. Paul is invoking the name of God and the name of the Lord Jesus so that Timothy will tune his ears to what he's getting ready to say next. But he goes even further. So I'm not just saying this before God and Christ Jesus. It's Christ Jesus who is going to judge the living and the dead. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 5 verse 22 that the father had delegated judgment to the son. So that responsibility lays in Jesus' hands, given to him by God the father. And he's going to judge the living, those who are alive when Jesus returns, and the dead, those who have already died throughout history before Jesus returns. 
He's going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing. Paul lived with this alarm clock in his mind. You know when you have an alarm set, but you wake up in the middle of the night? I don't know for you, but for me, I instantly think about that alarm clock. How much time do I have left? And it's so frustrating when there's only 30 minutes left to sleep. I mean, it's what you think about when you wake up. I got this alarm set. I got a clock that's ticking down until it's time for me to wake up. That's how Paul lived his life. Except for the alarm was Jesus' return. He has this countdown in his mind. He doesn't know the specific numbers on the clock. Jesus himself said that he didn't know those numbers. Only the Father knew when it would be time for the Son to return. But Paul was constantly aware of Jesus appearing. There was an urgency about his ministry. And he tells Timothy why. Because Jesus is going to return as the judge. The Father has delegated judgment to the Son. Turn a few pages to the right to 2 Peter. 2 Timothy is Paul writing. 2 Peter is the Apostle Peter writing to a first century church. Talking about this day that Jesus will return as the judge. And when Jesus returns as the judge, it's going to be this perfect intersection of holiness and grace. So we don't have to worry about this judgment in in the sense of his... Are we going to be pushed away from God? Because those of us who are in Christ, who have connected our life to Jesus by faith, we know that we're going to be judged, but it's going to be according to our works. It's going to be according to how fruitful we've been. But look what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord, that's Jesus returns, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief doesn't send a text message ahead of, ahead and say, hey, tonight I'm going to rob you. I just want you to know I'm going to break into your car. I'm going to steal all of your tires. It's going to be tonight. The thief just shows up. You, you don't know where they come from. You don't know where they go. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved. So creation is going to respond when Jesus returns. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. When Jesus returns, everything that has been hidden is going to be uncovered. You ever wonder like if government officials are lying to us, what secrets they have, how they're manipulating us, putting us in the positions. I mean, not our government, obviously, somebody else's government. right? I mean, you ever wonder about that? Well, when Jesus returns, all that is going to be uncovered. You ever wonder if somebody's lying to you? They're just telling you the things that you want to hear. They're positioning you in a way that you're not able to see the truth. But you didn't really have evidence. You really didn't have proof. When Jesus returns, all that's going to be uncovered. You ever feel like people didn't get the full story on your side of events and they didn't understand and they took somebody else's side because they didn't know the story and you didn't, weren't, really, weren't in a position to defend yourself? When Jesus returns, all that's going to be uncovered. Everything is going to be disclosed. And then Jesus is going to judge. He's going to judge us for our works. He's going to judge us for how fruitful we've been in his name. And those who are not in Christ are going to receive eternal punishment. And Timothy already knows all this. But Paul is bringing it back. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to listen to me. And I'm charging you. And I'm not just saying God and Jesus' name here to make my point. I mean, I'm telling you these things because Jesus is going to appear. 
He's going to bring his kingdom fully with him. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. So listen to what I'm getting ready to say. Then he says in verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Uh, to preach means to proclaim. If you ever watch the movies about uh, the days of, days of yore when somebody would say, hear ye, hear ye. That's what the word preaching means. It means I, I want your attention. I'm heralding a message so that everybody can hear it and understand it. Preach the word. And the word that Paul is talking about is the foundation that God laid in the first half of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, that Jesus fulfilled, and then his life, death, resurrection, and return. That is the word that Paul wants Timothy to preach. Now, I know uh, fear of public speaking kind of ranks at the top of things that uh, make us uncomfortable. So I thought we'd play a, a fun game of would you rather. And so normally I don't want you talking to the person next to you, but this is okay if you came with somebody today. Would you rather, question number one, would you rather... Uh, publicly speak in front of 200 people. So imagine yourself at work giving a presentation or here at church next Sunday. If you want 200 people listening to you, you're the only one speaking or skydive. Just think about it for just a second. All right, next one. Uh, Would you rather speak in front of 200 people or pick up a good-sized snake off the ground? It's non-venomous, but it will bite you. All right, final one. Would you rather speak in front of 200 people or be wading out in the waters uh, of Galveston. Of course, you can't see it because it's gross. And a shark bumps into your leg. You know it's a shark. It doesn't bite you, but you knew, you knew it was a shark. Last one. All right. Let's, let's find out the results. Uh, who would uh, choose to skydive? Yeah. Uh, who would choose the snake? Less. Who would choose the shark? Yeah, right. So, so th- when most of us think about public speaking, it's going to take that level of thing to, to make us choose to speak in front of 200 people. So when we see the phrase, preach the word, we think, well, that's Curtis. This is obviously talking to you. It's not talking to regular people. It's talking to you. You, you preach the word. But remember, in the first century, and if you read the book of Acts, you see this, uh, the Apostle Paul, he preached in a lot of places, and very few of them had stages. Very few of them, in fact, none of them had amplification systems, microphones and screens. uh, Acts tells us that he preached in the marketplace, so it's like going to the mall. 
uh, he preached in people's homes. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in somebody's home before. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, you have. Uh, he, he preached beside a river once. In fact, a woman named Lydia gave her life to Christ there. And then she and Paul together started what we know as the Church of Philippi. The places that Paul preached that were just regular places that all of us go, far exceed the places he preached with stages like the one that I'm standing on now. So when we see the word preach the word, don't think of that as, oh, that's something that a professional does. If you go to any of those places, then you preach the word. You proclaim the word. There should be people in your life that you do the equivalent of, hear ye, hear ye. I have something that I want you to know. Where are you announcing the gospel of Jesus? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Paul says, preach the word when you feel like it or when you don't feel like it. Preach the word whether they want to hear it or they don't want to hear it. If it's accepted or not accepted, that's not for you to decide. Your job is just to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke and correct. Those were two words from last week's passage in 2 Timothy. Remember, rebuking is announcing to somebody, hey, you have a broken arm. Correcting is the doctor taking that broken arm and setting the bone right so it would heal. Rebuking is, hey, there's a problem. And I'm letting you know about the problem. Correcting is, here's what you should do next. Here's the path forward for you. And encourage. And do it with great patience and teaching. Preaching the word in season and out of season requires patience. So does rebuking, correcting, encouraging. Because I don't know about you, but it's rare that I hear what I should be doing and I instantly do it perfectly. And I do it perfectly forever. My spiritual development looks a lot like one step forward, half a step back, two steps back, three steps forward, half a step back, two steps forward, three steps back. And most of our spiritual development looks like that. Growing in Christ is a messy, messy thing. So if we're helping people, we have to help them with patience. A lot of us suffer from expecting more out of somebody else than we expect out of ourselves. Usually we have infinite amounts of patience for ourselves. Very little patience with other people. But Paul tells Timothy, if you're going to do these things, you're going to preach the word, and you're going to use it to help people see, and you're going to help them to know what to do next, and you're going to encourage them with it, you're going to need patience. And you're going to have to teach them. There was a day in America... Where if you were sharing the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and, and someone said to you, well, how do you, how do you know all this stuff is true? You could have said, well, the Bible says it. And they would have thought, well, that's good enough for me. If they did ask you about the Bible, how do you know that the Bible is true? You could say, well, my pastor said it was true. And they might say, well, that's good enough for me then. We are not living in that day anymore. To help people know the good news of Jesus, we're going to have to teach it to them. And we see Jesus role modeling this for us. In fact, 
The scripture says in the Gospels that he would go and proclaim the kingdom. He would go and preach the kingdom of God. He would go and herald it. He would announce it. The kingdom of God is here. But we see him in the Sermon on the Mount teaching about the kingdom of God. Here's how you live. Here's the truth about God. You have heard it said like this. But what I'm telling you is this. He did both and we need to do both. We need to be announcing and proclaiming. And we also need to take the time to help people understand it. And to help them understand, we're going to need to have a lot of patience. Verse 3. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. This is why it's so imperative, Timothy, that you, you preach the word because there are people out there in your churches who don't really want to hear the word they want to hear something else. He says they have an itch. When I have an itch on my back and I need Amanda to help me get it, I don't just say, hey, whatever you think, go for it. No, I say just above my shoulder blade. No, a little bit to the right. No, a little bit down. No, you miss it to the left. I know exactly where it is. Paul says that's, that's what is going to happen with people. Remember, Paul wrote this inspired by the Holy Spirit in the first century. He says, Timothy, there's coming a day not too far from now. When people are going to say, here's what I want to hear. And no, a little bit to the right. No, I didn't like that. I actually want to hear this. They're going to, they're going to decide what they want to hear ahead of time. Then they're going to go and find teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And in fact, they'll multiply teachers for themselves. We see this happening in the scripture. Remember in Exodus, Moses is up on top of the, the mountain with God. And he's up there for a long time. In the presence of God. Well, meanwhile, the Israelites are back down. They've just sent their leader up there who speaks to God for them. But now their leader has disappeared. They don't know what's happened. They weren't allowed on the mountain. He could have died up there for all they know. So they say to Aaron, who was Moses' brother and also his co-leader in a lot of senses, Aaron, we need you to fix this for us. And so Aaron says, give me all your jewelry. And he takes all that gold and he forms a golden calf and the Israelites begin to worship the golden calf instead of worshiping God. They had a problem and a minister to help them solve their problem was readily available. If there is demand to hear a specific message, there is a religious professional who will supply that demand. You'll always be able to find a religious professional who will tell you what you want to hear. Paul goes on in verse 4. Once they've done that, they will turn away from hearing the truth. Because now they have ministers who aren't going to tell them the truth. They have ministers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. And they will turn aside to myths. The, the myths in the first century that Paul was combating, one was that Jesus has already returned. He, he actually mentions that in 2 Timothy already. He mentions the leaders by name who are teaching that Jesus has already returned. And that's causing a lot of panic in Jesus' followers, obviously. He returned and I missed it. Um, another one that he mentions in First and Second Thessalonians is that in order to be saved by Jesus, you have to be alive when Jesus returns. So if you die ahead of his return, you're without salvation. And, and a lot of First and Second Thessalonians is correcting that line of teaching. 
There were also teachers who were saying, if you want to follow Jesus, it's good. You need to follow Jesus fully and become Jewish like Jesus and take on Jewish habits. So now it's beyond following Christ. Now it's this other religion that you've combined with following Jesus. And that's what a lot of Galatians is about. Paul correcting that kind of thinking. And then there were people who um, were believing in what was surrounding them in the Roman and Greek a culture that if you truly wanted to know God, you had to have a very super spiritual and supernatural experience. You had to be taken to a higher level uh, above mere mortals. And once you were in that higher level, uh, once you had gotten that secret knowledge, then and only then could you truly know God. And Paul references that in Colossians. They had turned away from the truth and turned towards these myths, these things that weren't, they weren't true. In our day, those are not our temptations, I, I think. Uh, uh, pluralism is a temptation for us. I mean, there are lots of things that can be true at the same time because it's, we're good people. We're good-hearted people. We don't want to be people in conflict with other groups of people. And, and so it would be nice if pluralism was, was true. Hey, this is true for me. That's true for you. If we can get along, that's great. Universalism is the idea that Jesus is just going to save everybody. It doesn't matter if you believe in him in this life or not. You, you can be a different religion, you can be an atheist, you can be an agnostic, but hey, in the end, Jesus is just going to save everybody, uh, and it will all be fine. Uh, you can imagine why that would be appealing, because we all love people who are not in Christ, they're not in the kingdom, and the idea that, hey, we just all end up in heaven together is super appealing. There are people who are teaching that there's a Bible within a Bible, so you have your Bible, but inside of there, there are rankings, so the words of Jesus is at the top. Right? Um, Paul is discredited um, because he says things that are hard to hear. He says exclusive things like Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. And then the Old Testament is pretty much just irrelevant. And, and so when you have a Bible within the Bible, then you just get to pick the parts that you want to listen to and not listen to. And so we take all of Jesus' moral teaching, all of his example of how to interact with people, how to love the poor, all of that, and we leave out all of the, the parts that are demanding, like sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. When he returns, there are going to be sheep and there are going to be goats. And, right? We leave all of that out. But one test, though, is you're reading books and reading tweets and Articles and all of that. When you are listening to somebody's teaching or reading it, just ask yourself, how, how does this person regard Jesus? Because usually that is a clue. The people who are going to lead you astray usually only talk about one or two characteristics of Jesus. And often it's the humanity of Jesus, how he is the best of us. And that is absolutely true. But what you don't hear teachers who are promoting a Bible within a Bible or promoting universalism, you don't hear them talking about the holiness of Jesus. You, you don't hear them talking about the supernatural power of Jesus. In fact, often those teachers won't talk anything about Jesus' healings because it means that he's divine. And it means that we have to take all of him seriously. It means that if he has a plan and purpose and a will specifically for the people in the Gospels, then he must have a plan and purpose and a will and a way for us too, that we would have to yield to and submit to. How does this person I'm listening to regard Jesus? Do they give me a whole picture 
of the Son of God or only the characteristics about him that affirm what they already believe. Because the people who go and look for teachers who will itch their itchy ears are people like you and I. So the thought that this is, oh, this is just for other people out there. It's not. It just may not be, it may be that your ears aren't itching at the moment. So all of us need to be reminded, I want to hear the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And I want to be well read and studied enough that when there is error, I can hear it for myself. He says in verse 5, but as for you, that's what these other people are going to do. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Exercise self-control, Timothy, in everything. Your version of the scripture may say, be sober-minded. What Paul is telling Timothy is, be the opposite of drunk. When you are drunk... You have no inhibitions. You're, you're just being driven by your impulses. You, you don't have the, the presence of mind to say this is a bad idea. So the question we need to ask ourselves to evaluate, am I living with self-control and everything, is where are my impulses winning? Where in my life are my impulses driving the car? Is it in my anger Is it in my lust? Is it in my substance abuse? Is it in my mouth? Is it in my laziness? Is it in my fear and anxiety and worry? Where are my impulses? Where are the things that come naturally to me, leading me? And wherever that is, Paul says, exercise self-control. And like exercise, it's going to take some muscle building. Self-control is hard at first, but over time... It becomes easier and easier and easier through the power of the Spirit and daily discipline of submitting yourself to the Spirit. Exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Paul would tell us today that hardship is not a good reason to leave the faith. If anybody had a reason to quit, it was Paul. A lot of bad things happen to him. Here he is at the end of his life. And what we're going to see in the next few weeks is he's not even being given credit for how faithful he's been. In fact, he says here at the end of my life, people are abandoning me. He's writing this letter to Timothy to make sure Timothy doesn't abandon him. No one is coming along saying, you know, Paul, I just want to thank you. Without you, I wouldn't be who I am today. Without your gospel, my life would have been on a totally different track. His friends and ministry partners aren't saying, hey, I'm going to stand by you until the bitter end. People are kind of looking out for themselves so that what happened to Paul doesn't happen to them. him. If anybody had a reason to quit, it was him. But he's telling Timothy, in fact, I'm not quitting. And so you're not going to quit either, Timothy. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy probably thought of himself as a pastor, but Paul says part of being a pastor is being an evangelist. Part of following Jesus is being an evangelist. Telling people who do not currently believe in Christ that Christ has died for them, been resurrected for their new life, and can give them eternal life. People need to know that. Timothy needed to be announcing that, doing the work of an evangelist. And Paul had a pattern. 
He would first go to the synagogue if there was a synagogue in whatever town he went in because he was Jewish and it was a natural connection to the Jewish people in that community. It was a place for him to start sharing the gospel. What's your pattern for sharing the gospel? What's your pattern for breaking out of your normal life and the way you normally see people, the way you normally live, to see people who are not believing in Christ? For me, one of the things that I like to do, if it's been a while since I've shared about Christ with somebody who doesn't currently believe in him, is I like to go to the mall. I'm a pastor, so it's easy for you know, me to just spend time with people who already believe in Jesus all day long, every day. And so sometimes I go to the mall because the mall is one of the only places that you'll find people sitting on a bench and it's fine for you to go and sit next to them. You interact with people in the store. It's just I get out of my normal uh, rhythm. And so Friday night I was home with Willa. Amanda had the big kids. Uh, they were doing something. And so I thought, you know, I need to do the work of evangelist. It's been a while. And so Willa and I went to the mall. And as I was walking in, uh, just praying, God, if there's somebody in here that needs to hear the gospel, then I'm available and I'm scared and nervous. So make it super easy was a, was a legitimate prayer uh, that I prayed as I was walking into the mall. And so we start in Sears because it's a ghost town and the parking lot is, you know, empty and just looking around and then you get distracted by things. And I thought maybe Willow would be a conversation starter. She was mostly a conversation ender that night. And after a while, just, you know, it's just not, no conversations were happening naturally. And I'm trying to be as not weird as possible, which is already hard for me. So I thought, well, one thing I can do for sure is I can just pray. I can just pray for people. So as I would pass people, you know, I'm pushing her stroller. Just pray for the person that just would walk by me. I don't know anything about them. But if something came to my mind as they passed, I'd pray that for them. See somebody across the way. I pray, God, that you would give them everything they need. If they have any needs in their life, God, I pray that you would meet their needs and that they would know it was from you. God, I pray for this person behind this kiosk. I pray that somebody would stop and let them try the makeup on. I pray just (laughs) somebody would stop. You know, it was amazing. As I started praying for just all the people that I could see, I went into the mall looking for a needle in the haystack. And as I was praying, I saw, no, there are thousands of needles in this building. You may be thinking of your workplace as, is, is there just one person in here that maybe is having a hard time and I can minister to, but what if tomorrow when you went to work and you set your stuff down, the first thing that you did was just looked out across your office or across the plant or whatever, and you just right there prayed for every person that you saw. It's going to be much easier for you to do the work of an evangelist once you see them in that way. That God is at work in their life, that He cares about them, He loves them, and that you've been praying for them. Do the work of an evangelist, Paul tells Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. What's ironic is Paul knows that he's at the end of his ministry. He says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is next week. And the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul is telling Timothy, I have fulfilled my ministry. Now it's your turn to fulfill yours. 
Every single one of us have a ministry in here. I know that because 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 12 and 14 says that you and I, we are a part of the body of Christ. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are eyes, some of us are mouths. But we all fit together perfectly. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that we are all stones that are being built together to build the house of God. You're a stone perfectly fashioned to fit next to the person that you're sitting next to so that we can be the house of God in this world. My point is, is that you have a role in Jesus unfolding kingdom. And are you fulfilling your ministry? To bring it back where we started. The alarm is set. The clock is counting down. Jesus will appear as a judge of the living and dead. And one of the things he is going to judge us about is did you fulfill your ministry? What excuse will you give him on that day? Will you say, I had kids. Jeez. They were young and they were little and they were hard and they were zapping all my energy. I wake up tired. Go to work. I come home. I work with them and I love them, but I didn't have a lot of spare time to give to the church or to your kingdom. Or I'm young and I've got things to do. I'm not married. I can go wherever and whenever and I'm taking full advantage of the life season that I am in. And so I would have liked to give more to Jesus' kingdom, but I just was, I just was kind of living it while I have it now before I have kids. But when you have kids, then you ain't going to have it. Right? I'm old and I'm retiring. I'm retiring from everything. What excuse will you give him? And here's what I want to say as we finish. If that excuse won't work then, don't let it work now. If you can't imagine being proud of saying, this is why I didn't fulfill my ministry in this season of my life on the day that you stand before him and give an account for your life, then don't say it to yourself today. There is not a season ahead of you that will be more easy to fulfill your ministry. There are ready-made excuses in everyone. Even Timothy probably had a list. But Paul tells him, don't do it. Fulfill your ministry, and I charge you to do this before God and Christ Jesus. Let's pray.